And BPD is basically for me, for me, I, I want to express that, uh, a quick change of emotions in a second. And it's like I'm watching a movie, a happy movie, and suddenly I don't know why I want to hurt my, myself. Okay. Hey guys, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today I'm here with Agatha, who's going to share her story on living with borderline personality disorder. Agatha, thank you so, so much for joining me today. How are you? Hi, uh, thank you for having me here. And I'm good. I have a good day uh, with my dog, with my family. So it's fine. And I didn't feel alone for a long time. So it's good. And I'm happy that I can be here uh, for you and for people who will be listening to this story. I love that so much. And I know you've been going through a lot lately and you've really done an amazing job of finding coping mechanisms that work for you and helping yourself get through it. And I think that's so amazing. And before we get in, do you want to share some coping mechanisms that have really worked for you during this time? Well, for me, it's when I feel impulsive and where I feel uh, angry about something and I know I can hurt somebody because of that and I can stop it. I'm going to my room and I listening to music, I thanking my meds, I cuddling my dog and writing. Writing about emotions is really, really great. And it can be a great way, not only for writers or journalists, because I am the one, but for people who actually don't write usually. So I really recommend that um, uh, way of uh, coping or we can just simply talk to another person. It's really, really great way to feel not alone. I absolutely second that. I think when it comes to writing, it's such an amazing way to process because sometimes your thoughts just come out better on paper. At least for me, that's what happens. And it's a really great way for me to express myself and process things that I don't even realize are just sitting there in my subconscious mind. So I love that writing also works for you. It's just, it's such an amazing tool. And thank you for sharing that coping mechanism and other coping mechanisms that you've been using, because I think a lot of times we all struggle to find coping coping mechanisms. I hope somebody listening is able to find some inspiration from that. But I was wondering if you could give us a little introduction to BPD and share your experience with it. Well, I I was diagnosed two years ago, I, I think. And before that, I, will, I was diagnosed with depression. So this was two different times. And now my life looks like I'm um, living with my parents, with my family, but I also like to be alone. And when I have a moment when my BPD is punching me in the face, I just trying to not be a person who will hurt my family or friends. And I actually I'm the same at the same time I'm a person who wants to care for myself. So I'm trying to find a way to acknowledge that I am 
I have right to taking care about myself. And BPD is basically for me, for me, I, I want to express that, uh, a quick change of emotions in a second. And it's like I'm watching a movie, a happy movie, and suddenly I don't know why I want to hurt my, myself. So I'm just about, um, I have to think how I can calm myself in that moment. It's really, it sounds complicated and it is, but I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> to explain that. You were doing a really great job of explaining it. And like you said, it's different for everybody. I think when it comes to mental health conditions and mental illness, it's really everyone's been put in a box and everyone kind of just assumes that everyone's the same and everyone's going to experience the same. But mental health conditions, mental illness are not a one size fits all. Yeah, you said it's your experience with it. And I think that's a really great way for you to explain it because it's very misunderstood. Borderline personality disorder is probably one of the top three um, mental illnesses that are often misunderstood and no one talks about it. And because of the name, it kind of adds a little bit of a stigma to it. So being able to have this conversation and talk about it, I think is so amazing. So how were you first diagnosed? Well, uh, when I was 13, I was first in... um, with doctor and he tells me that I actually have depression. And at this stage, it was true because, you know, you can't diagnose uh, BPD before uh, 25 uh, year. So uh, yeah, it was hard because I was a kid and uh, actually nobody believed me. And I was uh, at that time after a huge uh, tragic, event in my life so it was worse that I was alone so yeah it's my adventure with the first diagnosis thank you so much for sharing that I know that's not easy to share and that's a really common thing that people are misdiagnosed with depression Mm -hmm. and they can't diagnose certain mental health conditions until later on but that's years of not being treated properly And that is so frustrating. I was reading some statistics the other day and I saw it can take like an average of 10 years for people to get the right diagnosis and the right medication. Yeah. There has to be a better way, right? Could you imagine if you had gotten that treatment that you're getting now back then when you were 13? It could have changed a lot of things. I think it's, I was diagnosed in the one and only meeting with the doctor I don't, I'm not a doctor, but I doubt that in one meeting, uh, the doctor can say, what exactly are you having, you have? It's, it's really needs to take time uh, to be able to say that, right? Exactly. I think we live in a culture where they're really quick to diagnose and prescribe medication especially for mental health conditions. When I was reading this book, The End of Mental Illness, and I had a guest, Mm -hmm. um, Kayla Sides, who came on and talked about the book as well, where in any other part of your body, if something's wrong, if your arm is hurting, 
they would do an x-ray of your arm. They would look at your arm. But nobody looks at the brain. You have a toothache, they look at the tooth. They never scan your brain. And there are so many different factors that could come to play. It could be hormone levels. It could be vitamin deficiencies. It could be exposure to chemicals, toxic chemicals. It could be a mental health condition. But certain medications that work for others might not work for you because of other factors. And that's something that I think would be really important to bring into the mental health community and start diagnosing people based on a whole image instead of a quick diagnosis based on a story because how I describe what I'm going through might not be exactly what I'm going through, especially at a young age. Like you said, at 13 years old, people didn't really listen to you. People didn't really believe you and understand. And I'm sure it was hard to express what you were feeling and express what you were going through, especially when no one's understanding. And I think that's where the big disconnect is, is it's hard to advocate for ourselves. No one teaches us how to. We don't really know what warning signs to look out for. And we try to put into words and sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes people just don't understand and don't truly see and hear us. And if we were able to look at the brain as a whole and get a whole picture of the person and what they've experienced, what they've gone through, different traumas that have shaped their brain and who they are what treatment plan can we put together? Some people might need medication. I need medication. Some people might just need supplements. Some people might need medication and supplements. Some people might need exercise and a change of their environment and their surroundings. It's different for everyone. But again, we live in a world where we put mental health in a one size fits all box and we locked it away. Yeah, that's why we need to talk about it and talk and talk and talk. And yeah, so I'm glad that uh, we can talk about it here again. Me too. Exactly. It's so important that we start normalizing the conversation and having these conversations because so many people are struggling and they feel alone. But in reality, we're all going through it together. We really are. And there's so many people out there who really truly see you and hear you and believe in you and understand you. So after you got diagnosed originally with depression, how long did it take from that point to getting the borderline personality disorder diagnosis? How many years went by? Actually, um, I um, jumped in with something here too, but I wanted to say that in my case, timing, it's weird. So I can't really exactly tell the date because I don't remember that, but I think it was... I was uh, 13 when I was uh, diagnosed with depression and I was, um, I think 19 or 20 where, when I got diagnosed with uh, personality disorder. And after that, the doctor said to me, it was borderline. So I think 10 years. Wow. So over those 10 years, what did your treatment plan look like? Had you tried different medications? Did you try coping mechanisms? Did you really have a treatment plan to support? What did those 10 years look like before you got that right diagnosis? It was hell, to be honest, because it was about um, also about my problems in family and with uh, my experiences. But uh, 
it was hard. I was changing the doctors all the time. After that, I wasn't be, wasn't in therapy at all. So it was like, I'm feeling okay, so I don't need a doctor. I'm feeling bad, but soon I will be okay, so I don't need a doctor too. So I think it was hard to find uh, the way I am here with therapy and stuff. I changed uh, the medication. I changed uh, the doctor so many times that today I think I finally found my way with it. But I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing. There's so much we don't know. And I love how you talk about that. You tried different medications and different doctors and therapists because no one really talks about that, that the first therapist or doctor or counselor that you connect with might not work for you. Yeah, It may take yeah. a long time to get matched with the right person. Kind of like you're dating them. Think about it that yeah. way. You're not yeah. going to find, well, you might, you might find the love of your life the first time around and you might not. Both options are okay. Both situations are okay. Exactly. But if that person doesn't fit for you, that doesn't mean therapy or counseling doesn't fit for you. If one medication doesn't work for you, doesn't mean no medication will. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But it isn't it isn't mutually exclusive that you can either find it the first time or it doesn't work. You might yeah. the first time go to a therapist and it's like I don't like their treatment plan. Maybe you want someone who's more holistic. Maybe you want someone whose approach is more on a nutritional level and an exercise-based level. Maybe you want someone who's more into cognitive behavioral therapy. Maybe you want someone who's more into neurofeedback therapy. Maybe you prefer a certain gender, maybe because of different experiences and traumas, you might connect to a certain gender better. There's so many different things. You might connect to someone older or younger. That's okay. You're allowed to be picky because they have to work for you. Your energies have to align. And I know that's something that I personally struggled with for a while. The first time I went to a therapist, I was really young. I think it was like eight. And I loved that therapist. But then the next therapist I went to, it wasn't the right fit for me. And then after that, the next therapist wasn't a right fit for me or the following one or the one after that until I got to the one I have today. But it took a long, long time. And I kept kind of quitting therapy for a little bit of time in between because I was like, therapy just doesn't work for me. But that wasn't true. It was I hadn't found the right match yet. Yeah. So we need to go into it like we're dating our therapist, not that we're dating our therapist, but that it's like we're trying to be matched with the person that's going to support us and be there for us because it's a very, very important relationship that can help us in so many ways. So thank you so much for sharing that. And then I know you faced a lot of traumas and I won't make you go into them, but I would love to know if you found anything that could really help you through those traumas afterwards, because I imagine you had PTSD and that can be a very lonely, terrifying experience. And I think a lot of people deal with PTSD and don't, it's not necessarily taken very seriously in today's world. We kind of make it like a joke, like, oh my goodness, I have PTSD from the end of that episode. No, you don't. 
but we've kind of made it a joke in a way that a lot of people don't believe that they genuinely have it and they don't know how to cope with it or that it's okay to cope and process with it. So I was wondering, how have you gone from that point of initial shock afterwards and the pain and the heartache to where you are today, where you're so willing to open up and explore who you are and know that you're worthy of the treatment and the support and the help? You know, for a long time, I had a fiance who supported me and she did hell of a work with me. Even if I, I was hard person, but I always will remember that. Also, I'm not telling that we need to have a partner to be happy and to deal with it because no, we can't just um, give another person this power where she or he don't have that. We we have. They can be a supportive, that can be a very important part of our healing, but we are supposed to do that. So I went to therapies, I went to friends, and even when I I was ashamed of saying something about me, you know, I found the voice uh, and I'm trying to use it. I'm writing and this work is uh, really one of my coping mechanisms, to be honest. And I found out that I am a volcano. Sometimes, you know, I love hugging people, but at the same time, I can just cry a lava and be so hot that it hurts. Not that I'm saying I'm hot, just in different way, right? Uh, and, and I love to make a jokes about it. So... This is uh, this is my way. It was hell of a journey, but I'm here. I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of your journey. And I love that you brought up about laughing. For me, I know that's always worked. I don't take anything too seriously. I make a way to joke about everything because for me personally, with a lot of things I've gone through, if I sit in it too much and I don't laugh, I will fall apart. And that might not be the healthiest way to deal with it. I'm definitely learning and processing every week in therapy and every day through journaling coping mechanisms, 100%. But I'm at a point where I have to laugh. Laughing Mm -hmm. is truly the best medicine for me at this point. And I think that's something that's really underrated. And like you said, sometimes you have the good days and the bad days. And all emotions are normal and they're good. It's good to express yourself. I know there's days where I just fall apart and break down for hours and that's okay. We need to normalize crying. We need to normalize bad days because everything can't always be positive. Not everything is positive. Not everything is great. Not everything's good all the time. Life is yin and yang, right? You've got the bad with the good and the good with the bad. You can't have one without the other. And I'm just really happy you brought that up because that's something we don't talk about enough. So when you have those ups and downs, what are your three like go-to type of writing? Because I know you said you love to write and writing really helps you. How do you write? Do you have different styles? Do you have like three different styles you could share with us? So, okay, it's basically a totally long topic and I can talk and talk about it so I will try to be short 
sometimes I'm writing poems and it's mostly in the night when I'm alone with my dog and I'm writing sad poems, happy poems about songs and stuff. Sometimes I just, it's 2 p.m. and I'm trying to go to work and I'm writing 10 articles in two hours and the next day I, I am free. So it's it depends. It really depends about from how I feel. Sometimes I don't write. Sometimes I'm just laying on my bed with my dog and wondering why or who I am and, you know, just doing nothing. We need that break sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> and I love how you touched on it depends how you feel because like therapy, like medication, a lot of times we try something once and if it doesn't work, we're done with it or it works one time and then it doesn't work again. And we're like, why didn't this work? But different feelings may require different coping mechanisms. Different feelings may require different styles of the same coping mechanism. And that's normal and that's okay. And it's really important to understand that and to give yourself that space to learn more about yourself and explore what works in different situations. So how did you figure out what worked for you? Was it a lot of trial and error or did you kind of just know? You know, I I tried, I cried, I, I yelled and uh, it's the fundament of my journey, but I, my ways were always with me since I were uh, I will uh, I was a child I like to write I like to uh, make fun and make people smile so I took that and make this my way with my therapy and stuff that's amazing and I like you said you tried and you cried because, like I said again, normalize crying. It's okay to yeah. cry. It's okay to get frustrated. It's okay to get upset. But we shouldn't give up. And I think a lot of times we feel like we should just give up because nothing's working. And it's yeah. okay to try and try again. Yeah, and it it doesn't really always working as well too. It's it's not like it's uh, you can have hundred percent sure. You can be hundred percent. Uh, sure that it will help it's it's not like that you can try you can fight you can cry and be happy but sometimes you just need to wait exactly 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 so back to your experience with borderline personality disorder when you first got diagnosed what feelings were you experiencing? Were you, did you really have an understanding of what that meant? Were you afraid? Were you confused? Were you nervous? How did you really feel in that moment? You know, I think I felt like them, a lot of people who wanted to hear what's going on. And, and I, and as a, uh, a person with BPD, I was scared and I was relieved at the same time because this diagnosis can be a very, very big moment and it makes me to know what I can do after that. 
So it was like, but also very, very big uh, wave of fear. So what did you do in the beginning to help yourself understand more and to find the right treatment plan for you? What were those key steps? To be honest, in that um, moment when I was diagnosed, I was in a really bad shape because of something, what happened. And I didn't want to heal. So uh, I think it was about my um, another um, attempt of suicide. But after that, after that, I, um, I found that I can be a person with friends. So I let my, my friends and my ex-girlfriend help me. And she actually found out what we can do. And after that, I just tried and tried. And sometimes I didn't try, but well, I'm here. So I think it's, it's good that I had her and I had my friends. I love that because the support system is so, so important. We need to have support. And that goes with any type of illness, mental illness or physical illness. We don't have to go through any of it alone. We don't have to go through life alone. As human beings, we crave connection with others. You're allowed to have connection. You're allowed to have support. You're allowed to have help. You're allowed to take up space. And I think we're kind of afraid to take up space and get that help and get that support And I love that you had people who you trusted, who you felt like could really be there for you, and they were actually there for you. And that's so, so important. If anyone out there is listening and feeling alone and not sure if they should reach out to somebody, you don't have to go through it alone. You really, really don't. You deserve support, whether it's from loved ones, whether it's from a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, whether it's from social media and connecting with people who are also experiencing the same things you are, whether it's through volunteering with different nonprofits, whether it's through reaching out to a crisis hotline real quick, Mm -hmm. the national suicide prevention lifeline for anyone who needs it. 1-800-273-8255 and the crisis text line 741-741. Please know that you can always reach out to people for support. You really don't have to go through it alone. And Agatha, thank you so, so much for joining me today and for sharing your story and what's really helped you get through. And I think you're going to help so many people by sharing your story. You know, I I wanted to thank you that I could be here once again. And I'm glad we did that. And to whoever listening to it, I just want to say that if someone just needs a company, that person can write to me or to you and I bet it we, we can just talk nobody no nothing else talk and laugh or, or something so we are here you are so so amazing so sweet and just have the absolute biggest heart thank you again so so much for joining me today thank you thank you